The Red Elephant Podcast with Fawn Padalino. Hey, everybody. Today we are here with Mr. Duke Buckner, who is running for the 6th Congressional District in South Carolina. How are you today? Doing great, Fawn. How are you doing? I can't complain. Good. It's been a great day. I don't know if you heard, but they passed the election integrity bill here in South Carolina. Yes, that is huge. Huge. I think that uh, that is going to help a lot of people in their races. I don't think South Carolina was on the level as some of our fellow states in the U.S., but... I definitely think that uh, it can only benefit us for sure. Definitely, definitely. Um, some people will say that it actually suppresses voters. How do you feel about that? No, I, I don't think it suppresses voters. I think it's, it's exactly what it's meant to do, election integrity. I think as a female minority who wasn't always allowed to vote, I want my vote to count, and that's why I'm for election integrity. And you literally have to have an ID and there's rules and regulations in almost everything in life. So for me, I never felt like it suppressed my vote because I mean, to get alcohol, you know, to, to pick up prescriptions, sometimes you have to have an ID for just about anything to go to the white house, to do a tour, you have to have an ID. So for me, I never felt like it suppressed votes. So I'm glad it's passed. I think it's very beneficial. Oh yes, definitely. Definitely. So you are running for the 6th Congressional District. Tell us a little bit about you from the ground up. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Fawn. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Uh, my name is Dwayne Buckner, but my friends call me Duke, and I'm from the great city of Walterboro, South Carolina, in Colleton County. Um, I grew up in Colleton County in Walterboro. is my home. I graduated from Walterboro High School in 1990. And after high school, I went to South Carolina State University, got my degree in English education. So uh, I was an English teacher right out of college and uh, taught seventh grade middle school English. And then uh, I went on to teach at Walterboro High School, 10th and 11th grade English. So I started my professional career in education as a school teacher, public school teacher. And then my wife and I, we decided to go into business for ourselves and we started a weekly newspaper in Colleton County called the Community Times Dispatch. And so um, that was back in 1997. So we published a weekly newspaper. Um, that was a lot of hard work fun. <laughs> we used to get up 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, drive around, delivering the newspapers, uh, making sure everybody got their paper on time in the mail, uh, taking out the old papers in all the convenience stores and putting in the newspapers, taking pictures, writing articles, selling ads. And uh, so we did that. Uh, we ran that business for about six and a half years, but my heart and desire was to go to law school. And I uh, finally got in to a school down in South Florida called Nova Southeastern University. And uh, so we sold the newspaper. That was in 2003. And we moved to Florida, to South Florida, Fort Lauderdale area, and uh, attended Nova. Graduated in 2006 and took the Florida bar, and I passed the first time. Praise God for that. <laughs> that was a tough test, but I uh, passed the Florida bar and uh, got my first job as a public defender down in Broward County, uh, representing those who were accused of crimes down in, in Fort Lauderdale. And I stayed in the public defender's office, and then my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2009, and he asked me to come back. To Walterboro back to South Carolina so I came back to South Carolina 
in uh, 2009, ran for Walterboro City Council, and I was elected to city council, served a term on council, and then I opened up my own law practice, Buckner Law Firm, in 2012. So I've been practicing law in the great state of South Carolina for the last 10 years, and so that's my professional background, and I think it's important that you know you know, folks that are running for office, you need to know their background and know where they're from, know where they went to school, and because it's important to know who your potential elected leaders are. And if anybody leaves out portions of their past or doesn't want to talk about where they went to school or what happened, you know, I would have serious questions about that. I'm going to be honest. We've met a few times. I did not know any of that. That is so awesome. And what a what a difference between being an English teacher and a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's uh that's a lot different in oh man, middle school and high school. Yes. I've, I've got a middle schooler. It's a big difference, especially seventh grade. I taught They're seventh not as grade. cute as yeah. those young kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> they start talking back then. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, but that's interesting. That's awesome. Um tell us what made you want to run for the 6th Congressional District position? Well, the 6th Congressional District has been suffering for a very long time economically. Um, it's the poorest district in the state of South Carolina. I grew up in the 6th Congressional District, the quote-unquote corridor of shame. And we need jobs. We need economic growth and development. We need excellence in education. And in addition to that, we need safe streets and neighborhoods. And that is not happening in the 6th Congressional District. For the last 30 years, um, Mr. Clyburn has grown in influence and, and popularity in Washington, D.C. However, his district, which includes the forgotten counties of Allendale and Bamberg and Colleton and Hampton and Clarendon County, Williamsburg have deteriorated and, and it's time for the suffering to end and that's why I decided to run for office because I would like to take the skills that I have that I've learned in my professional experience as a school teacher as a businessman as an attorney to be a cheerleader for the sixth congressional district so that we can turn things around it would be one thing if the whole state was poor but that's not the case. It's just the 6th Congressional District. Everybody else is booming and doing well. Greenville, Spartanburg, Rock Hill, Myrtle Beach, Hilton Head. But the 6th District is suffering. And, 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 and it's time for that suffering to end and bring jobs and economic growth and development to the 6th Congressional District. Correct me if I'm wrong because I read a lot of articles, but I believe I just saw an article maybe a couple weeks ago about um, Clyburn stating that there was some type of um, ethical issue and that he was actually, um, I think it was over 200,000. Um, oh, he just pulled it up. Um, more than 200,000 from his campaign account was going to two of his daughters, their husbands, and one of his grandchildren. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's uh, very unethical to take donations and funnel it through to your family. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't look good. Uh, certainly, you can do it. I mean, it's legal, but it doesn't look good. And uh, again, I have an issue when, and I'll just say it like this, when the 
the shepherd is getting fat and the sheep is starving, something is wrong with that picture. And that's exactly what's going on in the 6th Congressional District. Again, Mr. Clyburn has grown in influence and power in Washington, D.C., but his district has not benefited from his influence. We still have I-95, which is the busiest corridor in the United States. Road needs to be paved and widened. I mean, you hit a pothole on I-95, <laughs> you will tear your car up. So that's got to be fixed. Um, Again, we're the poorest district in the state. Uh, many people living, the poverty rate is above the state. Uh, 65,000 uh, is the national median income, and the median income for the 6th Congressional District is $41,000. So that's $24,000 below the national median income. And when you have people who need new roofs on their houses, need new floors in their homes, uh, don't have the money who are driving from point A to B. Uh, the average commute is an hour to an hour and a half to get to work every day. Uh, many people are driving old cars, hoping they can get from point A to B. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's the neglect, it's a, it, it would be considered a crime, the neglect that has been going on in 6th Congressional District. And again, it all falls back to leadership? Well, I think for me, um, obviously I'm running for the House of Representatives for District 64. And campaigns take money. You need money to, to get your stuff out there for people to know about you, to know, you know what you stand for, that you're here for them to vote for, for change. Um, and don't get me wrong, my family helps I mean, they're my backbone. Like, I put my kids out there. They help me with signs. Yes. And, you know, my husband helps me out. He does IT. You know, he helps me with design. All of that, um, you know, and I, I do think people's families help out. But I think that it's almost like a slap in the face when it's like over $200,000 is given to his family. And they're the ones that are, you know, doing such and such for his campaign, you know, I know my family and they want to help me because, you know, they want change and they want great things to happen. I just, I don't know. I feel like to me, that's why a lot of people don't want to give to campaigns, even if they believe in what you say, because it's like, you can't trust anybody. Like this is what they do, you know, sometimes. And I don't know. I just, I just think to me, it just makes it that much harder for us who are trying to be on the up and up and do the right thing with the money that we're given, you know, to see this, it's like. Well, Fawn, it's very ironic. I'll share this with you. When I started running my campaign back in January, my budget was $200,000. And I would go to different places and say, I'm asking a thousand people for $200. Uh, and all I need is $200,000 to uh, run the race. And then the article comes out that uh, Mr. Clyburn is taking 200000 and, and funneling it to his uh, family members. And so it's just very ironic. I'm asking for 200000 to run my campaign to buy signs and put my message out. And he's taking 200000 and uh, making sure that his, his immediate family and close family members are, are benefiting from it. So. Speaking of, do you support the America First agenda? And let me give you an example of something that I read today, or actually that I, I watched a video from one of our, our 
Congresswomen. Um, she stated that, I don't know if you're aware, there's a shortage on baby formula right now in certain states, and it's kind of spreading like wildfire. And it was said that Biden actually just sent pallets to the border for the people at the border to have formula. Meanwhile, Americans can't find the formula that they need for their babies. How do you feel about that? And do you feel like it should be America first? Well, definitely, um, Fawn. Um, I'm going to share a quick story with you regarding the issue you just raised. As a school teacher, English teacher, one of my favorite stories that I used to uh, teach the children was about Rip Van Winkle. And this was the gentleman that uh, fell asleep and for 20 years and he he woke up when he went to sleep uh the united states was under the british crown but when he woke up we had gained our independence and so a lot of people think about rip van winkle and the fact that he slept for 20 years but there's another part of that short story uh that people miss and that and it's this that uh rip was very popular in the community everybody liked him because he was always fixing everybody else's house and raking someone else's yard and and doing odd jobs for everyone else. But his wife was very angry and upset with him because his own house was falling apart. His own yard needed to be raked. His own roof needed to be fixed. And she would say, you know, charity begins at home. <laughs> I think so, a lot of wives feel that way, actually. You know, <laughs> you know, hey, man, you're out here raking everybody else's yard, but I, your own yard needs to be fixed. So, um, and I say that story to... to uh, express the the issue of america first definitely america first we should uh charity begins at home we need to take care of americans first and so um and if the biden administration and is going to take baby formula and give it to folks who are not citizens of the united states and we as citizens are going without that's wrong that's wrong charity begins at home i agree um, so inflation, I think the last time I saw it was at eight and a half percent. And I actually just filled up my gas tank today. It really hurt my feelings. It was a uh, $4 and 26 cent. Do you feel like this was Biden's fault? A lot of people say, oh, this was back from when Trump was president. But do you feel like this is a Biden issue? No, it's totally a Biden issue. His policies, his energy policies helped to create the $4 the $5 diesel gas prices that we're seeing. One of the first things that Mr. Biden did when he got into office was he made it difficult for oil and gas companies to get leases in order to be able to drill on federal lands. He actually put a, a moratorium on it for I don't know how many months or a couple of months. And, and, so, and then additional regulations on oil and gas companies made it very difficult for them to be able to make a profit. Second, there's this push from the far left to put everybody into a electric vehicle. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I mean, I support electric vehicles. I think that they're good, but you know, we have to naturally progress to that. You just can't automatically one day decide we're gonna put everybody in an electric vehicle. It just doesn't work that way. That's not the free market that we are supposed to have here in the United States. And so uh, Mr. Biden, uh, policies have brought us to where we are right now and he would not have gotten in the seat he's in had it not been for an endorsement that came from representative james clyburn when the candidate joe biden was losing every primary 
until he got to South Carolina and Mr. Clyburn made his Joe Biden is my friend speech. And as a result of that fawn, uh, Joe Biden went on to win every primary and became the next president of the United States. So the Biden Clyburn agenda, which have hurt families with mandatory vaccinations, especially for federal employees, military personnel, medical personnel, uh, many families have lost their jobs, have basically lost their livelihood because they refuse to take a mandatory vaccination. And in addition to that, we have numbers in the military that are not being met because, you know, a lot of people who are looking to go in the military are like, no, I'm not going to take an experimental vaccine. And so uh, all that we have seen since the Biden Clyburn agenda the mandatory vaccinations, the high inflation, which you just mentioned, the 20,000 or so illegal aliens under a bridge now in our communities with new cell phones, <laughs> and um, the debacle in Afghanistan and the pullout where we had, you know, Afghans who helped intelligence and with our military left behind and holding on to their dear life on the side of an airplane which refused to stop for them. Uh, that those, those are things that Mr. Biden did, his decisions, and Mr. Clyburn helped him to, to become president. And so um, they're connected together. I agree. Uh, actually, some of our local politicians here, too, um, endorsed Biden and um, I think they work pretty closely with Clyburn too. So, uh, you brought something up that um, I'm glad you did. You talked about the mandatory vaccines. How do you feel? Because when COVID hit, a lot of people from the left or or Democrats, I guess I should say, were very much like, if you care about your fellow neighbor, you need to mask up, get a vaccine. But now with this turn of events with Roe v. Wade my body, my choice. What do you think about what happened with the leak um, with the Supreme Court? And how do you feel with the fact that they say my body, my choice with abortions, but not my body, my choice with vaccine mandates? Well, as it relates to the Supreme Court, uh, I took a class when I was in law school regarding the Supreme Court and actually took a trip to the Supreme Court and had an opportunity to uh, sit right there in the Supreme Court and, and listen to uh, a hearing in front of the Supreme Court. And I can tell you this, the person who leaked that information, that, was, that, that did a great disservice, not only to our country, but it did a great disservice to the institution of the Supreme Court. Um, when you do something like that, it's political. And the Supreme Court is not a political institution. It is, the, it is there as the judicial branch of our government, co-equal with the executive and the legislative branch. And um, so whoever that person is, I, whatever crime they committed, whatever uh, privilege, you know, executive privileges or whatever they, they violated, attorney-client privilege, they should be uh, pr prosecuted and 
lose their bar license, whatever, because that was totally, totally wrong for them to do that. I think they said it was like 233 years that had never happened. Yes, it, it, that, that's very bad what that person did. And I hope they find that person and I hope they're brought to justice and so that the Supreme Court can um, rebuild its reputation because leaking an opinion that is not even final, just a draft, because it goes through several revisions before it's actually published. And to put that out there like that, uh, that person had an agenda. And so um, very not, not good. Um, as for the issue of um, mass mandates and, and vaccine, vaccination mandates, my position is you shouldn't be forced to do these things. It should be your choice. If you feel you need to take a vaccine, then take a vaccine. And if you feel that you don't want to take a vaccine, you shouldn't be forced to do it. And so that's my position on that. So mandatory vaccinations, mandatory masks, I can't go along with that. Can't go along with that. And um, what about with the Roe versus Wade? How do you feel about that? Well, you know, I'm pro-life and um, I'm pro-life because I believe that life begins at conception. And I believe that under our Constitution, we have the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And so um, I want to, you know, just reiterate and thank the, the folks in the legislature here in South Carolina that passed a heartbeat bill. Uh, we want abortions to be rare and not you know abortion all over the place you know um it, it and it and it is a very sad thing when we have more and more and more and more babies being killed and um so we want to make sure that we protect life we want to make sure that abortions are rare and i support the pro-life agenda I think the thing is, is it started out as if these situations occur is when we should allow abortions. And now it's almost just become so casual. You know, it's like nobody, not nobody, because obviously I'm pro-life also, but a lot of people just have the mindset. It's like they've almost forgotten that that is a human being. Yes. And I, that all lives matter. You know, I, I understand, but especially like in South Carolina, I, I feel like I say this on every podcast. Um, there's a website called nodrama.org. You can go on there, you get free birth control. Like there should be no reason why this is happening in casual situations. Um, so I agree 100%. I, I think it started off with the mindset of being something that rarely happened so that people weren't hurting themselves to, to do this. Um, when it was illegal to now it's just, you know, so casual and it's deeply concerning. Uh, do you feel like kind of to roll with that? Because I feel like a lot of people who are pro-life do have Christian values, not everyone, um, but most people, do you feel like voting based off your biblical values is important? Yes. I think that's the foundation of, of every, uh, politician what their personal beliefs are but we also have to understand you're there to represent the people and you're there to represent their interest and so 
for example, going back to the issue of abortion, personally, my personal belief is no abortion, no exceptions. However, if there was a bill that came before the Congress that said abortions are illegal but for rape, incest, and life of the mother, I'd vote for that because it's, it helps to move the pendulum from the far left to at least in the middle, you know. And so sometimes whatever your personal beliefs are, you have to reconcile them with the beliefs of the people that you represent. But at the end of the day, you have to vote your convictions and you have to vote uh, so that you'll be able to look in the mirror after you've made your vote. And so that's important as well. So there's always this making sure that you are representing the people who elected you to, to go to Congress. I would completely agree uh, based off the fact that even though I am pro-life, it is in no way, shape, or form my intention to ever judge anyone's decision. I feel like, you know, you got to love people where they are and you want to help them where they are. And, you know, I agree with what you said. Those three options are definitely, you know, issues that people can't help. So I would, I would say I'm right there with you on, on that as far as the, the abortions. And I would never want anyone to think just, I feel like it's just very misconstrued when people are pro-life that it's like, you just think, people who are pro-choice or, you know, anybody like that, you don't care for them. You think they're completely wrong. And it's, I'm just throwing that out there so that people know, like, you know, that's not the case. Like we, we can be people who want to meet people where they're at and we care about them no matter what. Listen, I have a lot of pro-choice friends and I respect them. I respect what they, when they make their position, they're pro-choice and I understand why they're pro-choice. I've met some ladies who have been raped and and uh and so when they say they're pro-choice i understand that i i listen to them i understand how they feel however i still have to share how i feel and so we compromise you find a compromise and a compromise for me is as i mentioned earlier abortion should be illegal but for these instances rape, incest, life of the mother, I'd vote for that. I think politics used to be that way where you could agree to disagree and it was way more, you know, midline. But I feel like nowadays if if you're not where they're at, it's just, you know, you're wrong. What do you think about in South Carolina? The heartbeat bill was passed, but Planned Parenthood is actually suing our state to try and have it overturned. As an organization, Planned Parenthood and its founder, Margaret Sanger, you know, they, they had as a basis a, a, a philosophy or a foundation that certain people should live and thrive and certain people should die. Uh, survival of the fittest, so to speak, and um, they could call eugenics, which at the time... African-Americans were considered was too many of them. They need to be, their population needs to be uh, decreased or diminished. And so a lot of the abortion clinics are in African-American neighborhoods. In addition to that, 
many African Americans babies are aborted more than all other races combined and as a result of that the population of African Americans is diminished and dwindled in this country over the last 20 years that's not by chance I believe that's by design and so um Planned Parenthood I mean they can file lawsuits they can I mean that's their legal right to be able to do that however at the end of the day the courts will make a decision on the merits of the argument and and uh and render its decision it's my hope and prayer that um Again, abortions have become rare in this country and not the norm. I don't know if you saw when they when they passed the three trillion spending bill. Um, part of that money was actually given to Planned Parenthood across the U.S., not just South Carolina, but across the U.S., um, just to keep their lights on. Do you think that is something that taxpayers' dollars should be going towards? No, I don't believe that federal tax dollars should go to pay for abortions i think the supreme court and and again i'm going to comment on a draft opinion is not the actual opinion of the court but in that draft opinion if it's legitimate it basically says this is a state's issue on abortion not a federal issue let the states decide whether or not they want to allow abortions in their own particular state. Therefore, federal funding, as you mentioned, if this opinion is the Supreme Court's opinion, would make now the states responsible for funding for abortion, and it would move it from the federal courts. And so um, I, would, I would agree with that. I think if the, if the state wants to provide that, that should be a state issue not take my federal income tax dollars and fund a procedure that I don't agree with. James Clyburn actually has stated that he's okay with defunding the police. How do you feel about that? Um, that is totally, <laughs> absolutely wrong to defund the police. And the statistics in the 6th Congressional District as it relates to crime Crime is up throughout the district. Uh, many of the forgotten counties have crimes that have gone unresolved in any other, higher than any other counties in the state of South Carolina. Um, thefts and robberies are up more than any other district in the state of South Carolina. So to defund the police is just, I don't know. I don't know. It's wrong. And and when I'm your congressman, I am going to fund the police. And and I'll just share this quick story with you, Fawn. When I was on the Walterboro City Council, we had a really bad crime problem in the city of Walterboro. I mean, we were on the news constantly. And we made national news. We had a triple homicide. And it was out of control, literally out of control. But what we did to reduce crime and to fix the problem, the first step is you have to acknowledge that you have a crime problem. That's the first step. Number two, not only did we acknowledge that we had a crime problem, we also had to acknowledge that we had a gang problem because gangs and crime, they, it all goes together. So once we acknowledge that, the second thing we had to do was humble ourselves and ask for help. 
And so can you imagine in our little small town of Walterboro, right in the city parking lot, we had a sled mobile command unit right there. <laughs> and, and I think it sent a message to the bad guys that, hey, we're not playing around. We mean business. And, uh, and the second thing we did was we hired a, an outside crime consultant who came in to our police department, assessed the situation, looked at what we were doing, he held community forums, and we came up with a crime reduction plan that included policy and uh, personnel changes. And when he finished his work and we had our plan, we began to work that plan. And over time, the crime went down, the shootings went down, the drug problem went down, and you don't hear about Walter Burrell on the news. We're not on the front page <laughs> of, of the uh, local newspaper or making the national news. And the crime went down. So we all worked together. We also had to have a conversation with the solicitor's office because they're in charge of deciding which crimes are prosecuted. Excuse me, prosecuted. So we had to put all the stakeholders together. And uh, we did that. And crime went down in the city of Walterboro. And that is how we're going to reduce crime throughout the entire 6th Congressional District. And defunding the police is not a part of that process. I was going to say, when we were in the height of all those riots, um, I think it was Seattle, Washington, a, a bunch of people said they were going to create their own community <laughs> because they didn't want the police, they didn't want the government, they didn't want any of that. I believe it was like three people were murdered in like the first week <laughs> and finally the police went in there and broke them up and everything like, but they put up walls and everything. It's, I don't think defunding the police is going to fix issues. I think there's bad people in all workforces. I'm sure there's police out there that have done things that were not right. Um, but it's not the majority. And I think that their job really is to try and help, you know, fight crime and keep, you know, the, the drugs down and all of that so that we can live our best lives so i agree yeah, we need to be and feel safe people need to feel safe in their community feel safe in their home uh there was a time when you could leave your bicycle on the porch you can't do that now you can leave your door unlocked you can't do that now you have to watch where you're going and where you're at because you know again when you got 40-year high inflation gas and food prices are high empty shelves you know carton of eggs at five dollars and 25 cent milk almost at seven dollars a gallon i mean and the sixth congressional district is already before this the poorest district in the state of south carolina and now with these additional biden clyburn policies people are really suffering and people are really hurting and some resort to crime so once we fix education through school choice allow parents to be involved in the direction of their education of their children so that children can get a quality education. We bring the industry and jobs back to the 6th Congressional District by reducing the corporate tax rate, reducing regulations on businesses so that they can thrive and be able to expand and hire and actually have a a salesman for the 6th District that is going to use the opportunity zones that Senator Tim Scott has already created to help bring the jobs and industry on the busiest 
I ninety five business interstate in the state of South Carolina in the in the country right through the sixth district. We can be the corridor of fame and not the corridor of shame. You just brought up uh, school choice, which I assume you're a fan of. One hundred percent. That's that's me too. Uh, and you also mentioned education. What do you think about CRT? That's like a really hot topic right now. Listen, critical race theory is bad. It's wrong. And let me tell you why it's wrong. Number one, and I'm going to try to just explain it the best way that I can. It's basically putting on a pair of race sunglasses and seeing everything in terms of race. And that's wrong. Um, It also divides people it also characterizes categorizes individuals as victims and uh, oppressors and that type of rhetoric that type of uh, information indoctrinated into our children it divides America instead of bringing America together under the principles and ideals of the Constitution which unites us all together. We the people of the United States, you know, under the Declaration of Independence, we're all created equal, endowed by our creator by certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are the ideals, the American ideals that bring us together, not, you know, critical race theory. And so that's why I'm totally against it. That's why it needs to be removed and not taught in our public school system. Um, I feel like my biggest issue is that as kids, our parents were always there to build us up. You can do anything you put your mind to. Most parents. I'm sure there are parents out there that didn't do that. But the Amer- you almost cut out the American dream when you have CRT. If you tell somebody they're held down, they're never going to believe they can achieve things that are unachievable but they've been doing it all throughout history. I mean, look at Robert Small that came from South Carolina, the great things that he did during a time of slavery. Like, if you tell these kids that they can't go past a certain point, they're gonna believe it, and that is the whole point of CRT, in my opinion. But as somebody who is Native American, African American, and white, how can you, how's that even gonna work? Like, they're gonna tell my kids they're the oppressor and the oppressed? You know, it's like that only works to a certain level anyways. And then it just kind of gets like, how's that going to work? Yeah, it, it again, it's, I'm going to use the word, it's foolishness. We just, we need, we need to get back to teaching the children the skills that they're going to need to be successful in life. Reading, writing, and arithmetic and raising standards and not lowering standards. Because that's the issue now. Uh, education and we've lowered standards we've you know we've taken away certain tests that will determine whether or not these standards have, have been met and and again the sixth congressional district you have and i and i'll quote this statistic i think it was 80 percent of the third graders can't pass a basic reading assessment 80 percent. i mean that's that's horrible and we got to change that. And the way to change that is to step one, parents involved in the education of their children. Step two, school choice, which will allow 
children not to have to stay in a failing school, but be in a school that they want to be. That's important. Second, we have to have great instruction. So we got to make sure we got teachers who want to be there and want to teach because, you know, you got some teachers out there, you know, they just there for a paycheck. They're not trying to, they're not trying to um, do what they need to do. And so those teachers, we got to find a way to move them out of education so that they can find something else to do because they're, they're hurting the children if they don't have a heart and a passion for teaching. So those are just some things that, that, that need to happen in education. And when I'm your next congressman, I got three main issues. I'm going to Washington, D.C. to bring good paying jobs, economic growth and development, excellence in education, safe streets, and neighborhoods by reducing crime. Those are the issues of the 6th Congressional District, and that's what I'm going to focus on as your next congressman. Well, I think that will be great, especially since I feel like school choice would really help cut down on school districts really trying to tell the parents they have no say. I think that would make a lot of schools want to sit up and act right also um, in that aspect. But I also feel like as a parent um, who was a former child of public school, it when I was in school, the school could call my parents. I'd get in trouble at school. I'd get in trouble at home. And nowadays, I feel like some of those teachers that might not, they're just there for a paycheck at this point. It's because, like, they have no control anymore. Like, the parents aren't backing up the teachers. And I'm not saying, you know, when they're teaching your kids all this fluff instead of teaching them what they should be, that's not right either. But I think we as parents need to start stepping back into and realize, you know, we got we to gotta be united, you know, and, and raising these kids and getting them where they need to be so that, you know, we can all have a better future. So I agree. I have two children currently in public school. One is a senior at Carlton County High School, and I have a daughter who's in the 10th grade. And, um, you know, we when they get home, hey, what you have for homework? You know, <laughs> you know, let's let's let's, you know, turn the TV off, turn the computer off, put your phone down. We're going to have study time or reading time or quiet time or you know we we try to enforce that those those discipline and and those uh structures so that they know hey it's time to study and i'm going to make sure that they get their work and follow up with them um, and so there are many groups out that are parent involvement in the direction of their children in schools and that is making a difference. However, those on the far left, they want to call them domestic terrorists, which is totally wrong, totally false. These are parents who care and want to see what's best for their children, and their children are being indoctrinated. Children are being exposed to things that are not age-appropriate. It's perverse, and it's filth. And, you know, enough is enough. And when you get to the point where you say enough is enough, you get up and you do something about it. And that's happening all across the country, all across the. Oh, a hundred percent. Where is it? Florida with the, the bill that's being twisted. They, they call it the don't say gay bill. And the problem is a lot of people don't research what these bills are. And it has nothing to even do with don't say gay. It has everything to do with these kindergartners through third grade that, you know, teachers aren't allowed to bring up you know, sexual orientation. Why do you even want to talk to a child about that? That's not yours anyways. You know, like I would say up to the third grade, they're still trying to learn their own motor functions and how to go day to day, you know? So to me, 
I think it's ludicrous that, you know, some of those teachers quit. Well, I'm sorry. If that bothers you, you shouldn't have been a teacher in the first place, um, to be completely honest. Well, no, I, I was going to say I agree. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Fond. I agree with you. And uh, I just want to say that I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be on the podcast. And if I could just share a few minutes with your listeners regarding my campaign. Sure. Um, on Tuesday, June the 14th, the citizens of South Carolina voting in the Republican primary have a choice to make. And the choice is which candidate can best defeat James Clyburn in November. I am from the low country. I was born and raised in South Carolina. This is my home. I have a business here. I was a school teacher, a newspaper editor and an attorney so i've built relationships i've lived in the corridor of shane i know how it feels to see everybody else prospering and doing well in the sixth district is struggling and suffering economically educationally and crime being rampant and not having the safe streets and neighborhoods like everyone else and so i have a personal stake in this election and that's why i'm running because i believe that i have the skills and the experience to turn things around, but I need your help to be able to do it. If you could go to votefordupe.com, that's votefordupe.com. I'm asking for your help, your financial support to make a donation to my campaign. Again, I'm asking a thousand people for $200. If $200 or $2,000 or whatever you can give, because the United States has afforded us a lifestyle that is the envy of the world. We live in freedom, and because we have those freedoms, we are a prosperous nation, but those freedoms are being threatened by the Biden Clyburn agenda of shutdowns and mandates and all of these things that have hurt us. And so how much is freedom worth to you? Is it worth $20? Is it worth $200 or worth 2000? Whatever it is that you can do, I'm asking to go to my website right now, voteforduke.com, make a donation. If you aren't able to make a donation, but you can put a sign in your yard or you can knock on doors or you can make calls, please sign up on my website and let's, let's right the ship. Let's turn America around and put her back in the right direction. Stand by America now because she needs patriots to stand by her. Because if not, we're going to wake up in a country that we no longer recognize and is no longer the America that our founding fathers set forth. I would agree with everything that you said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, It was a pleasure getting to know you. And um, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much.